Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, some community hockey and curling rinks may have to close if they can't comply with a new safety directive from the government. The province wants full compliance with rules already on the books after the tragedy that happened in Fernie. But as John Waugh reports, it's going to be tough for some communities to follow the regulations. Rink operators across the province knew something had to be done. Sweeping safety rules and a looming deadline should have some facilities worried about missing the mark. If they don't have them already in place, it's going to be a challenge to stay open after the 19th, that's for sure. That's the deadline from Technical Safety BC, ready to enforce rules that include certain rinks be staffed 24-7 by a qualified ice facility operator, refrigeration operator, or fourth-class power engineer. The response after three people lost their lives after an ammonia leak at an arena in Fernie. It can be a challenge financially, that's for sure, with budgets and, and, and the cost that's associated with it. A larger hurdle, hiring already qualified staff willing to work around the clock. Vancouver hoping for a workaround by undergoing a full risk assessment. Then you meet that level that's way above and beyond, and that's a level where um, you don't have to have the 24-7 coverage. And that's what we're aiming to do. The dangers of an ammonia leak all too real for figure skating champion Karen magnuson Cello. I think the recommendations are long overdue. She says they could have saved her from an ammonia-filled rink that cost her a career. If all these things had been in place, someone would have been there. They would have been able to take care of the situation. The Royal City Curling Club in New Westminster doesn't need 24-hour staffing. But the stricter safety assessments still come at a cost. It's a mid-season expense and um, we collect our curling fees at the beginning of the year and it's not something that we had budgeted for. After the tragedy in Fernie, no one is expecting technical safety to let the rules slide. Either way, the threat of heavy enforcement is coming in quick. John Hua, Global News. Well, the Fernie Arena has remained closed ever since the October tragedy, and now a BC MP is lobbying for that controversial Canada 150 ice rink built in Ottawa to be given to Fernie. The $5.6 million skating rink was built on Parliament Hill for the Canada 150 celebrations and will could easily be set up inside a building in Fernie. Stetsky says he is speaking to the Ottawa Minor Hockey Association, which will ultimately decide where that rink goes. A news hour follow-up now to the frightening story we told you last night about a massive ice bomb that fell onto a vehicle driven by a Cloverdale family. Their vehicle was heavily damaged, and they narrowly escaped serious injury. And despite Global's repeated attempts to reach several agencies, no one seems to be answering the key questions about who's responsible. They were driving along Highway 1 when a sheet of ice crashed down from the sign above. It sounded like a bomb going off. It just blew up. Straight into the roof and windshield of the Cloverdale family's truck. Inside, Eric, his father and nephew were stunned and in pain. There's blood all over my arms and I got hit in the knees and it hurt my neck. And I had, ha- I had glass all over my hair and glass in my eyes. 
It happened near Whatcom Road New Year's Eve as the Fraser Valley was in the grips of an ice storm. The Ministry of Transportation calls it an unfortunate and unusual incident and says their policy is to actively monitor ice buildup on signs and lamps. Crews are required to clear ice and snow buildup on signs where necessary to ensure safety and sign visibility. We reached out to two highway maintenance companies and the province. Nobody could tell us who was monitoring that night or whether the sign was cleared any time prior to the ice strike. It was unlucky that it happened, but it was lucky that we that we weren't injured from it. It's not the first time BC drivers were walloped by winter. In December 2016, ice bombs from the Alex Fraser and Portman bridges pounded traffic below. Traffic below. The province paid ICBC deductibles for the damage. The Transportation Ministry says it's now in touch with the Cloverdale family over their concerns. Eric has his own solution for preventing a repeat. Or maybe move the signs over or something. That'd be much smarter. Tanya Beja, Global News. Speaking of highways and ice, there is a freezing rain warning in effect tonight for a number of interior regions. Yvonne Shell joins us uh, early to run down the areas where drivers should be watching out. Yvonne? Yes, Chris, if you're heading along many of the mountain passes, especially for the interior sections, we are seeing it very slick out on the roadways and the risk of freezing rain. The following areas, when we take a look at the map, indicated in purple, that's where we're seeing the risk of freezing rain, and that stretches all the way into the southeastern corners of the province. The concern will be along the Coquihalla if you're traveling from Hope to Merritt. Also along Highway 3, that'll be from the Allison Pass, as well as Highway 3 along the Kootenai Pass. Most areas, though, it'll be over the next few hours, and then it is going to change over to snow or flurries and by tomorrow if you're heading along the mountain passes it'll be a snow but we're still watching the transition over the next few hours we're still tracking rain across the south coast a bit of a lonely action for the weekend i'll have the timing coming up very shortly chris all right thanks yvonne well it looks like 2018 won't be bringing any relief at the gas pumps just the opposite according to the experts industry watchers like gasbuddy.com say prices will increase by an average of five cents a liter that means prices could hit highs of $1.49 a litre in Metro Vancouver. Here on the West Coast, we are already paying the highest prices in the country. And on April 1st, we'll fork over another $0.1.2 cents a litre when the higher carbon tax kicks in. Meantime, a new law in Oregon has rekindled a debate in some Metro Vancouver communities over self-serve gas stations. The new law allows people in smaller Oregon counties to pump their own gas. Until now, counties with fewer than 40,000 people had to be full service. Here on the Lower Mainland, Richmond, Coquitlam and West Vancouver still forbid self-serve gas. Although Chevron has recently applied to amend Coquitlam's bylaw, the Richmond ban has been in place since 1966 ostensibly to protect jobs. A hearing is underway in Vancouver into a violent beating caught on video. The hearing focuses on the actions of two transit police officers who stopped a UBC student at a SkyTrain station nearly seven years ago. Officers, as well as lawyers for the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner, uh, went back and forth. What they are talking about are the outstanding allegations that involve excessive force and uh, use of or abuse of power, uh, basically talking about what happened that was caught on that videotape in 2011. Now, no one is disputing what took place. It was captured from about three different angles when that 22-year-old 
year-old UBC student was beaten at the hands of those two officers. However, because we are leading up to the public hearing, which was ordered by the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner, uh, we're now hearing more about the allegations. The lawyers for the two men saying they want clarification. And in the one case, the former officer, Michael Hughes, he has since quit the force. He was working as a sheriff. He's now on disability. His lawyer says there's no truth to the allegations. He wants them quashed. In the other case of Officer Edgar Diaz, who is still with the force, his lawyer is asking for clarification before the public hearing goes ahead. Now, we also heard from a lawyer with the Office of the uh, Police Complaints Commissioner. Uh, he said that the adjudicator hearing the case has no jurisdiction and wants the entire thing stopped and the public hearing to go ahead as planned in February. And uh, Chris, one more quote from David Butcher, who is the lawyer for the officer Edgar Diaz. Uh, he's saying that the delay is unreasonable, that here we are six and a half years later, and that that is unreasonable as well. Hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on this particular case he calls scandalous. Uh, now, they didn't quite finish everything today. They are going to be putting written submissions forward. The public hearing is scheduled to take place in February. Chris? Still waiting for a resolution, obviously, then. All right. Thanks very much, Jill. It's an upsetting thought for parents, knowing that the land beside their children's school is contaminated. That's what's happening to two schools in the community of Anmore. And as Ted Chernecki reports, residents say red tape is getting in the way of fixing the problem. Anmore. There's no place like it because every single property but one is not connected to any sewer lines. And we'll get to that one exception in a moment. All the other properties have septic fields. And in this case, what lurks beneath is starting to leach. The cutbacks in the hillside here completely neutered any usefulness of this septic field. So you had a, a septic field there and plant that was failing already and now it's been compounded due to the topographical changes in this area. It no longer meets any permit available. It cannot be rebuilt. Not true, claims Anmore Municipality. It believes the septic field can and must be repaired. But, say the homeowners, the Port Moody sewage line is right there, 50 meters away. There's no cost, I repeat, no cost to the village of Anmore or to the city of Port Moody. We will pay for all costs. Anmore says to get any sewer lines into the municipality would mean having to join Metro Vancouver, and that would cost taxpayers thousands. But that one building that is on Metro's sewer system, it's Eagle Mountain Middle School on the Anmore-Port Moody border. What they're saying over there at Anmore is that, um, you know, this has got more to do with real estate values than, than health issues. Is that what this is about? That has nothing to do whatsoever. This is about the health and safety of 2,200 children and recreational users that use this area down here. This part of Anmore is already a densified area, and this has nothing to do with a real estate play whatsoever. But Anmore believes this is all about real estate. There's a clause in the land title that if this septic field is one day not needed, the original owner can buy those two acres back for $10. That's seven city lots next to two schools. Why do you think I'm more opposed to it? I hate to speculate, but um, once again, I call it political constipation on their behalf. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Mountain bikers are celebrating a deal tonight that reopens some popular trails on Mount Seymour. Back in October of 2016, bikers were dismayed to find no trespassing signs on the trails posted by the owner of the land, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. At the time, the CMHC said it was a safety issue. But tonight, the North Shore Mountain Bike Association says it's reached a two-year agreement with CMHC, granting permission to use and maintain the trails, and it's working on a longer-term solution.
A piece of technology designed to make a downtown Vancouver neighborhood a safer place might be backfiring. As Jennifer Palmer reports, an alarm that's supposed to prevent loitering is driving some residents round the bend. Mr. Bentley is not amused. He and Bradley Friesen live near to this parkade on Seymour between Smythe and Robson, where an incessant alarm worms its way into the ears of passers-by. It gets right in there and it stays with you. It's, it has an engineered purpose and it's a very sinister and very, um, very inhumane uh, way of treating people. The purpose of the alarm seems to be to keep people from loitering around the entrance of the parkade. West Park was contacted but our calls were not returned. Uh, not very pleasant, kind of screechy, huh? It's extremely irritating. And I can't imagine if you can hear it in the condos. That's terrible. We contacted the city of Vancouver regarding this noise to see if any bylaws were being broken. They sent down a property use inspector. That person has since contacted the management company and asked them to turn off the alarm. But if the problem does persist, those affected have a way to make their own noise. Again, like I say, through the tort of nuisance, uh, people could try to uh, get an injunction against it and sue for damages. It's despicable that you would treat people like this indiscriminately and targeted to homeless people or whoever it's targeted to. Um, there is a problem here, but this isn't the way to deal with it, and this isn't the right way to, to, to address it. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Handsome, the neglected dog we told you about before Christmas is well on the road to recovery. The seven-year-old Mastiff now weighs more than 101 pounds, gaining about 24 pounds since he was found emaciated in Hope back on December 20th. He was discovered chained up outside, surrounded by ice and snow. He had just a frozen bucket of water and a doghouse with no insulation or bedding. Since then, a Langley businessman has donated $4,000 to cover the cost of Handsome's care. It's hoped Handsome will soon be adopted to a forever home. From the moment he came in, he's been this happy. I think he's just happy to be around people and have access to food and water and be in a nice warm place with a soft bed. Handsome still needs some dental work after his teeth, after he gnawed his teeth on the chain. The SPCA will be recommending animal cruelty charges against Handsome's former owner. That old BC ferry that we told you was up on the auction block is now being sold. The Queen of Burnaby was built back in 1965 and serviced the Powell River Comox route until May of last year. It's no longer seaworthy and has a whole host of known environmental issues. So with that in mind, BC Ferries put it up for sale to the highest bidder. Pending final approval by BC Ferries, it was sold for about $653,000. In the growing fight against climate change, pressure is on the international shipping industry to reduce its impact on the environment. Now a group at UBC has been tasked with making this highly competitive and complex business become greener. Linda Aylesworth has more. Every day you see them at anchor outside major ports. Enormous ocean-going vessels waiting their turn to load or offload goods. So 90% of traded goods go by ocean vessel. So it's very hard to look around your room right now and see anything in the room that hasn't come off of the ship. 
The reason transporting goods by ship is so popular is because it's inexpensive. That's because of the oil they use, bunker fuel. It's cheap, but it's also dirty. Shipping contributes currently about 3% of global emissions, so that would be of carbon emissions, so that would be equivalent to uh, Germany. So there's recognition that the sector has to do something. Finding the answers is the goal of the Green Shipping Project, a University of British Columbia initiative that 17 other universities worldwide have signed on to. We have a $2.5 million grant to uh, investigate the issues and opportunities of improving the environmental performance of maritime shipping. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions is just one of many problems, but the solutions can be complicated. For example, a growing number of container ships carry nearly three times more cargo than before. That should be reducing overall fuel consumption. But then what's happening is the ports don't have the infrastructure to handle this increased volume, so then you get the ships anchoring and idling, and, that, and you're going to see increased emissions from that. Since change is often costly, convincing shipping companies and the many levels of government involved to embrace new sustainable practices could be a challenge. But public pressure is already having a positive effect. Rotterdam, Los Angeles and Long Beach have all committed to become zero emissions ports in the next few decades. I think it's not a question of if. It has to change. And the industry recognizes this now. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Nightmare ride for skiers at an Austrian resort when blizzard conditions caused the chairlift to swing wildly. Deteriorating conditions made it very difficult to rescue the skiers, but they were eventually helped down. Storm Eleanor has swept across northern Europe, leaving tens of thousands in the dark and responsible for at least four deaths. Four women are accusing Oscar-winning Canadian director Paul Haggis of sexual misconduct. A civil lawsuit alleges Haggis raped a publicist. Since that suit was filed, three other women have come forward with their own allegations of sexual misconduct. A lawyer for the London, Ontario native rejects the latest accusations, and Haggis had previously filed a countersuit to the civil suit, calling it an attempt to extort money from him. Demand is soaring for the new book detailing life inside the Trump White House. Fire and Fury was released today, four days early. Donald Trump's lawyers are trying to stop its publication, with the White House calling it lies and gossip. But author Michael Wolff is standing by his work. NBC's Kristen Welker reports. Today, President Trump pelted with questions about the explosive book, Fire and Fury. Mr. President, what do you say to Michael Wolff? Showing restraint, but earlier taking to Twitter to unleash some fury of his own, calling the book full of lies, misrepresentations, and sources that don't exist. Mr. Trump's legal team tried to block the book's release. In such high demand, it hit shelves today, four days early. Wait, where do I send the box of chocolates? In an exclusive interview on Today, author Michael Wolff said the president's threats will only boost his sales. And Wolff insisted the account is accurate, despite some of the president's former top aides saying they were misquoted. I am certainly and absolutely in every way comfortable with everything I've reported. Wolff noting he recorded some interviews and spoke with the president. I've spent about uh, three hours with the president over the course of the campaign in, in the White House. And when pressed by Savannah on his assertion that those around the president question his fitness for office. Let me put a f 
put a, a marker in the, in the sand here, 100% of the people around him. Even claiming the president's aides all describe him the same way. They all say he is like a child. And what they mean by that is he has an, a need for immediate gratification. It's all about him. This morning, the president's supporters fired back. It's absolutely outrageous to, to make these types of accusations, uh, and it's simply uh, untrue. And disputed several facts, including that now First Lady Melania Trump cried about moving to the White House. Melania, like the rest of us, was ecstatic that her husband had just been elected the 45th president of the United States. Did you flatter your way in? I certainly said what was ever necessary to get the story. The longtime host of Jeopardy! is recovering after undergoing brain surgery over the holidays. After two days in the hospital, I came home to start recovery. The prognosis is excellent. In a video posted to Facebook, Alex Trebek says the procedure was to remove bleeding in his brain when he suffered a fall at his home two months ago. The game show host says he expects to be back at work soon. Jeopardy! is on hiatus for the time being. 77-year-old Canadian has only missed one episode of his long-running program 20 years ago when he and Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak switched roles for April Fool's Day. In Health Matters tonight, there's currently a global shortage of one of the most common travel vaccines. The hepatitis A vaccine is often recommended to vacationers, but there's a shortage across Canada and in the U.S. One of the two manufacturers doesn't have any product to ship out, and the existing stock has been depleted because of some large outbreaks south of the border. The disease causes liver infections. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Why the thief who stole that $1.6 million bottle of vodka might have a hangover right after the forecast. Not feeling too good, possibly. Well, until we get there, Atlantic Canada is in the midst of a sub-zero deep freeze thanks to the aftermath of a powerful winter storm. The roof just blew off the house across the street. The whole roof shoots everything. The system hit Nova Scotia with high winds and heavy rain. Gusts downed trees and damaged buildings, knocking out power to tens of thousands of people. Snow is the problem in New Brunswick. Flights have been grounded. Officials warning drivers to stay off the roads. Temperatures are already low across much of eastern Canada. Forecasters are predicting even colder conditions over the next few days. Much of the East Coast is still reeling from the bomb, cyclone and the remnants of the major blizzard that blew through. Now the follow-up is making it even worse. Bitter cold has moved in, making life miserable in areas that got hammered by high tides, too. Winter Storm 2018, the day after, a blast of Arctic air followed Thursday's wind and snow monster, making cleanup difficult and dangerous. Very cold. Goes right through you. It's horrible. My hands, I can't feel a thing through these gloves. <laughs> like They're probably purple right now. More than 120 million Americans under wind chill watches warnings and advisories over the next couple days as temperatures will struggle to climb above zero in some places. The worst thing that you can have following a storm like this is extremely low temperatures. In Massachusetts, the storm set a new high tide record. Boston Harbor turned State Street into a river of slush. The rapid rise even caught the situate harbor master by surprise. A wave hit and I lost my balance and I went in the water. 
He's calling a local restaurant owner a hero for saving his life. Instant kicks in, you go and try it out. Travel is still stalled. Bus passengers in Chicago stranded when their buses got stuck on highways in the Northeast. I've been here all night. I'm tired. I'm ready to go. Thousands of flight cancellations have airlines scrambling to catch up. They told us that maybe we'll fly back on Monday or on Tuesday. Just five days into the new year and many people are sick of the snow and cold, but not everyone. No, we need more. I want more snow. That wish might come true early next week. Chris Pallone, NBC News, Boston. It's fun when it's like that. Yeah, not as fun when you're trying to get around in it. No. Drive through it. All right, let's check in with our Yvonne Shell. We talked about freezing rain warnings in uh, certain parts of the province, but here in Metro Vancouver, not quite as bad. No, it's just about the wet weather. It's going to be soggy over the weekend. We do have a bit of a break, and I'm going to outline that in just a moment. Temperatures today still manage to warm up to 9 degrees out of the airport, above the average for this time of the year that sits at 6 degrees. We do have a few areas, though, especially in the interior, and that's where we're still seeing the risk of freezing rain. With that moisture, we're still waiting for the cool air for many areas, and then it'll change over to flurries or snow. Just below the freezing mark for areas near Kelowna, Prince George currently sitting at 3 degrees in areas near Prince Rupert with your current temperature temperature at 5. The freezing rain is going to transition to snow for the interior sections, but once again, if you're heading along the Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt, Allison Pass on Highway 3, as well as the Kootenai Pass, that's where we're still seeing the risk of freezing rain. Here's what we are seeing as well for the northern half of the province. It's along the central interior, but the coastal sections will see the next round of moisture pushing in for tomorrow. It'll work its way across the southern half of the province late for us by the evening hours. So much of the day on our Saturday will be just a chance of showers and then heavier rain pushing in by the evening across the coast and then periods of rain for our Sunday. That looks to be the wetter, the latter half of our weekend across the south coast. Northern sections will stay as rain for areas near Prince Rupert. Inland will still see a chance of flurries or mixed precipitation. The northeastern corners of the province for the peace will see some sunny breaks. Much of the central and southern interior, it's on and off flurry activity with a range between two and up to four centimeters of snowfall. And once again, for the interior and mountain passes this evening, risk of freezing rain changing over to snow and a few of the higher elevations could see an additional five centimeters leading in towards your Saturday. Whistler with temperatures up to two degrees. Merritt could see a few light flurries. Most of the south coast, it'll be a break as we get closer towards the noon hour and then that next round of rain pushes in late by the evening hours. Victoria with highs of 8 degrees tomorrow and areas near Port Hardy will climb up to 5 degrees. So it's the latter half of our weekend that we'll see more of that consistent rainfall falling. Temperatures will be up to 5 degrees Monday onwards, still quite soggy across Metro Vancouver, but hovering at around 6 degrees. A happy 100th birthday to Margaret Wilson from Vancouver, as well as Doris Stewart from North Vancouver. So happy 100th to both of you. Hope you've had a wonderful day. Tonight's weather window, this is a great shot sent in from Dave in Kelowna, Old Barn and the snowfall. And it's Friday, so here's a look back at some of the photos that we got submitted this week. And I picked this week's weather window, which is coming up. And the weather window goes to... Dun-dun-dun-dun. dun dun one. Dustin Jenkins, a great shot of, yeah. on Tuesday of the ice storm in Abbotsford. Guys? Well-deserved. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Well, that stolen bottle of vodka worth $1.6 million that we told you about last night has been found. And the thieves did the only thing that really made sense with the whole world looking for them. No doubt. They drank the vodka and then ditched the bottle. It was stolen from a Copenhagen bar, the bottle made of six pounds of gold and silver, capped off with diamonds. 
but the thieves tossed it into a construction site. It wasn't damaged, thankfully. The bar happy to get the bottle back, but they won't miss the vodka, which the thieves drank. It was only worth about eight bucks. Shocker. <laughs> a lot of effort with Cheap no reward bucks. for the guys. So yeah. They were worried that they would be, they didn't know what to do with it, or did they... Do they just not know? It'd be pretty hard to unload that bottle. Yeah. I think they knew the pawn shops. Bring it in for They'd be looking for it. That's right. You get 20 cents for that, get I believe. Bottle deposit sure. back. <laughs> I bet. That's right. An expensive shot. <laughs> I really like what you're wearing, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, I yes. get compliments all the time. <laughs> no, it's You're the fashionable one. We know that. Well, the New Year's Eve broadcast, you look very fashionable, and we were just we've had Twitter's blowing up. About it. Well, and he said he does, he doesn't get the compliments, so I wanted we wanted to compliment you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a new. <laughs> it is a suit and tie. Uh, something new, new thing for me, but okay, something not new. We'll talk Canucks to start. Thanks, guys. The uh, Canucks begin a season-long seven-game road trip tomorrow in Toronto, but really, it's a two-part trip because they'll play five games in the next eight days. Then they get their bye week, which every team gets this year. Then they'll go back on the road. For two more, so they're not back in Vancouver until January 23rd. Canucks are hoping Sven Berchi can be back in the lineup as early as Sunday in Montreal. He's been out for three weeks with a broken jaw. Here is a look at that road schedule. Toronto and Montreal this weekend, followed by Washington, Columbus, and Minnesota. Canucks 2-9-1 since the Horvat injury. Of course, no Berchi and Brandon Sutter for nearly all that time as well, and the Canucks just don't have the depth to deal with it. I think what you find in this league is top, top teams, teams that are really, really good. When they get injuries, they, they keep themselves afloat. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that if they lose top, top players, they're going to struggle. And we're in that mid-tier where, you know, it's a battle. It's a battle every night for our team when we're healthy. And we've got to be on top of our game. And it's been a battle when we've had injuries. All right, Canada is on the ice right now in Buffalo, going for gold against Sweden at the World Junior Championships. Elias Pettersson and the Swedes entered the game a perfect 6-0. Pettersson's had a great tournament, five goals, two assists, and has come as advertised a very silky, smooth playmaker and finisher. Canucks fans hope he scores a hat trick, but in a losing effort. Let's check out the action. Deep breath, everyone. Let's play for gold. Canada had plenty of pressure. In uh, this game in the first period, the puck actually enters the net here by Dylan Dubé, but you heard the quick whistle from the referee. Tough break for Canada. Puck was loose. Referee lost sight, so tough break. Scoreless after one. But in the second, Dubé gets one that does count, and it is pretty. Goes upstairs here off the rush, and it's one nothing Canada. First time Sweden's trailed all tournament long, but then while shorthanded, the Swedes do tie it. Tim Soderlund off the post and in 1-1. And check this out. A very lonely Swedish fan in the crowd looking for someone to high-five. No takers. 1-1. They're just about to start the third period. By the way, the U.S. won the bronze game 9-3 over the Czechs. Soccer now. FA Cup third round. Manchester United taking on Derby County. United had all sorts of glorious chances all match long. Finally, in the 84th, Jesse Lingard with a thumper to the top of the net. 1-0 United. And then in the ninth, uh, 90th minute, Romelu Lukaku will seal the deal as Manchester United go on to the fourth round of the FA Cup. 2-0 over Derby County. Liverpool also advanced to round four today. 
PGA season back in business. The 34-man field, the Century Tournament of Champions from Kapalua in Maui. Not a bad place to start the golf season. Jordan Spieth, third shot on the par five. And uh, he's going to hold that one out for Eagle. Seven under 66 for Jordan. Trails leader Mark Leishman by four right now. Adam Hadwin in the field. He's 29th at plus two. The Canadian Figure Skating Championships begin Monday in Vancouver. Of course, there's much more on the line than a national title for the top skaters. For Coquitlam's Kevin Reynolds, it's another chance to compete at the Olympics. This is Quanto. For over a decade, Kevin Reynolds has been the skater with the big hair and the big jumps, and he's enjoyed great success, winning a silver medal in the team competition at the Sochi Olympics, along with a gold at the Four Continents Cup back in 2013. He's also had a couple of top tens at the Worlds. Now at 27, Reynolds has decided this is it. He'll retire after this season, hopefully after representing Canada at a second Olympic Games. I think I've, I've pretty much reached my peak. You know, I, I've tried a lot of difficult stuff this year, but I realized that I've, I've almost reached my limitations. But at the same time, I, I still feel have a little bit to give this season, and I'm going to give my absolute all until the end of the season. There may be no bigger pressure cooker than singles figure skating. No teammates to rely on, just you, your skates, and all those eyes watching your every move. The moment has eaten up many world-class skaters. Reynolds feels he's in as good a space as he's ever been as he prepares to give the skate of his life next week. I've discovered myself on the ice, uh, where I am artistically, who I am as a skater. I think 10 years ago, I was still trying to find myself. You know, I was this little kid who could pull off these quad jumps, but I didn't really know what to do uh, performance-wise. And now I've kind of felt my comfort zone. I've been able to show different styles of programs. And uh, again, I want to try and show something a little bit different again this time. He's been training well, and he seems to be on top of everything most of the time so I think in a lot of skating hearts here in Vancouver they're going to be rooting for Kevin Reynolds. Of course there's that hair a Kevin Reynolds trademark. From the moment you get up to it looking like that how long does that take? Uh, not very long honestly uh, it's gotten so long that I've, I haven't really been spending all that time to manage it but uh, it will have a bit of a trim before the national championship so look for something a little bit different again. Kevin Reynolds hoping to go out in style next week at the Nationals and then next month at the Olympics. Here's a look at your conditions on the mountains. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 178. Grouse with a base of 215. Cypress 237 and Sasquatch 227. Revelstoke with one new centimeter of snow and a base of 153. Manning Park with a base of 120. Powder King 149. Big White with three new centimeters of snow and a base of 159. Revelstoke with one new centimeter of snow and a base of 144. Sun Peaks with a base of 118 and Apex 141. Coming up on ET Canada, Alex Trebek himself updates us on his recent brain surgery. We visit the sets of Chicago Med and Working Moms. That's coming up at 7 right after the news. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Paul. And we have a little bit of entertainment news for you as well. HBO has confirmed what many Game of Thrones fans had feared. The show's final season won't air until next year. Cable Giant says the eighth and final season of the series will have six episodes with behind-the-scenes exclusives. The decision to skip 2018 was made for producers to spend a little extra time crafting a spectacular send-off for the Emmy-winning sensation. 
When season seven ended last year, an all-time high of 12 million viewers tuned in, 12.1 million to be exact, 4 million caught the episode on streaming channels. HBO hasn't released or hasn't said when in 2019 the last season will air. Wow. That's a long wait. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, we haven't watched it. So if you haven't, you could you catch up. You have a lot of time by, to yeah, catch up. You can do the binge watching. All right, there's a new alert tonight about a security threat that puts potentially billions of people at risk. You may never look at your phone the same again. Apple says it affects nearly all of its devices, and Google and Microsoft are also vulnerable. Now the rush is on to fix the problem. The security flaws affecting many brands are called Meltdown and Spectre, and Apple says every Mac, iPhone, and iPad have them. I pretty much live through all my electronics as far as iPad, computer, laptop, phone. So the fact that all that stuff could be easily recovered from some outside party, that's kind of creepy. The flaw allows cyber criminals to tap into the memory on a chip found in billions of laptops, desktops, tablets, and smartphones from almost all brands. Hackers could access your personal data, like usernames and passwords. There's quite a bit of uh, sensitive information that's contained within memory, and once an attacker has access to that, they can leverage that to get further access to a system or to a corporate network. The flawed chips were made by Intel, Advanced Micro Devices, and ARM. In a statement, Intel says it's working with other tech companies to resolve this issue promptly and constructively. No cyber theft has been reported yet, but consumers probably won't be able to detect any breach. To protect yourself, Apple, Microsoft, and Google have put out new security patches in their software updates that people should download right away. They should also turn on automatic updates so that their devices and their computers will take care of themselves. Intel is now facing multiple class action lawsuits by customers alleging they're being forced to buy a new chip or download a fix that slows their system. Another obstacle in safeguarding your digital life. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles.